Okay, for the rest of our morning together, we have guests from another uh, ministry that we support as a church, uh, which just gives me a chance to just say thank you. I, I so appreciate being a part of a church that's generous and that allows us then as a church corporately uh, to be a part of what God's doing in different places, not just here locally, but even globally. And this is one of our global partners, and that's Far Reaching Ministries. And so you probably are aware of some of what they do around the world. Their hub, though, is not far from here up the 15 freeway. And we, several weeks ago, you remember we talked about what was happening in Afghanistan, and we prayed as a church that God would open doors, and, and our opportunity to support a relief effort was through far-reaching ministries, and so we did that just a few weeks ago. And then they circled back to us this past week and asked about coming uh, to give you an update and to share with you. And so Edward and Sean are both here from Far Reaching Ministries and they're going to share an update with you. And then they'll be available afterwards. Uh, they were wise and decided to go set up a table where they know that you'll be and that's by the coffee and donuts. So that's where you'll find them afterwards. But why don't you welcome Edward as he shares with us from the word. coffee and donuts. It's actually for me, but don't tell the pastor. <clears throat> I have a, a lot I want that's on my heart, and uh, it's been a really rough last couple months. It's been really a rough last few years, but it's been really a rough last couple months. And as an organization, when I got into ministry, I didn't know that I would, uh, because of things going on in the world, you know, I'm used to teaching Bible studies and Sunday school and all the things that I've done over the years being in leadership. I never knew that God would probably have me go through a season where I'm sleeping about two to three hours a night for a night on night. So if I fall asleep on you and, and I keep talking, that's okay. That's just a spirit speaking. So I hope that you guys will be patient with me. And that is my attempt to be funny when I'm tired. Since Sean's with me, I can't get away with too much because he'll be able to tell you that I'm never actually funny. I just keep hoping that somebody thinks I'm funny. In fact, my daughter likes to say, Dad, if you have to explain it, you're really not funny. I am with far-reaching ministries, and I get to see some faces that know who we are. I get to see some of my dear friends that I've known for a long time. And uh, most of what you guys know about us is South Sudan. I'm going to spend a little bit of time kind of building things up. I am here to give you an update on what's going on in Afghanistan, and it's a, it's a really tough situation. I'm trying to bring a little bit of levity into it because we have to remember, too, as Christians, when the world is shaking, we don't get to be afraid. We don't get to pull away from the world and, and hide in our own little bubbles and cocoons. We don't get to ever do that. What God has called us to, no matter what's going on in the world, is to continue to be obedient. And that's what I really want to challenge, challenge us with this morning. The Lord has placed us as a ministry in some of the most extreme places on the planet. Again, most of you know us because of South Sudan. Um, in South Sudan, I want to give you some insight because it actually led to where we are today. South Sudan has been in a uh, terrible war since 1958. There has been over 60 years of war, and in that time, it has been two worldviews coming together in the most explosive way. It was northern Sudan that came down with one goal, and that was to convert all of Sudan to Sharia law. The southern part, which is predominantly what you would think of as Africa, Black Africa South, or the central part, they wanted to align with Christianity because that's what their, that is their heritage. They, they met Jesus years ago. And so they came together as about 148 different tribes to stop the north from coming down. But it's during the time in which we've been there that is really hard for most people in the world to understand, and even me in the original part, is you know, how can somebody come down and just wipe out an entire group of people because they will not convert to a, to a way of thinking? 
during the time in which we've been there, over two million people have been just slaughtered. And it's not just army against army. And that's the hardest thing for me. You know, I, I, I don't like to see death. I have a lot of friends in the military. You don't like to see the stress that comes from that. But there's just something inside of me and most, American, most Americans in the, in the church is that you just don't do that to children and to women and to the elderly. And of that two million people, a lot of times most of the men were gone because they had to fight to protect the North from coming down. And so entire villages were left alone. These were mothers with young children and older people, that elderly people that couldn't take care of themselves. And it was just merciless, inhumane what they did. Again, it was just pure evil. And I can tell you when you deal with this type of stuff, we have dealt with thousands of women who have just been violated and, and had parts of their body cut off just because of the ugliness of the enemy. But, and that's hard. You, that's really hard. But when you deal with children that were forced, and we've dealt with hundreds of these that were forced to either kill their parents or be killed, you, you don't just walk up to a child that knows nothing but distress and pain and just tell them Jesus loves you and give them a bottle of water and a big hug and walk away. You can't do that. That kind of trauma requires us to be committed to walk with people long enough that, we can, that they can see that there's love and there's security and there's safety. And as Christians, that means that it costs us everything. It costs us from being gone from our families and the things that we love in America. It, it, co- it just, there's such a cost. But I can tell you the other side of that, I have seen some of the most broken people that, that should just be completely shattered their entire life. Meet this Jesus, this incredible love. And now the agony in which they've actually had to go through, they're now some of the greatest, brightest lights that I've ever seen. And, and that's what I want to remind us today in this church, because there's been a lot going on in this country the last couple of years. There's a lot of reason for us to feel angry and, and want to slam our fist and talk about our freedoms. But I want to remind us, for those of you who, who know Christ Jesus, and I'm assuming everybody does, I don't have a gift of prophecy. So I look out and I'm assuming all of you guys are the, the best Christians that we know in all California. Probably not all the way true there, so, but, but for the rest of us Christians, what I want to remind us of is that we are children of a higher kingdom. We have been adopted into an eternal God's kingdom. We have been hidden in Christ Jesus all because of love. And may we remember that as ambassadors. We're not ambassadors for America to Russia. We're not even ambassadors to America to Australia. We are ambassadors of the living king to, a, to an entire world. God has called us to go into all the world to shine the light of Jesus Christ to give people an opportunity to see something that they have never seen before. And I want to remind us of something. There's over 2 billion people this morning that has never even heard the name of Jesus. We have work to do. All of us are looking for, for those of you who maybe think the way I do, we're looking forward to that day when Jesus comes back. We're looking for that day that when, when all this craziness just comes to an end, I mean, the suffering that I've gone through and the suffering some of you have gone through. But what the Bible tells me is that we are really literally supposed to be continuing in that work to glorify God to a broken world until the very end. So South Sudan, if that weren't enough, um, we've actually moved way beyond that. I'll get into that into a second. Because of our work in South Sudan in the war, in the last... Uh, 20-something years that we've been there, we've had 69 of our team members killed just in South Sudan. God called us to raise up chaplains. We've raised up, trained up really Calvary Chapel pastors. We've trained up about 550, and they're all deployed to frontline combat units. 
In the first 15 years, and these are our brothers that I'm about to explain. These are not just names to me. These are brothers that I have, I've hugged, I've laid hands on, I've read the word to. They've laid hands on me. They've prayed for you. They pray for the church in America. They just love Calvary Chapel. They love the church in America so much because it was people that came out of, out of the American church that went to a country that everybody was running from and brought the love of Jesus. They just love you. And so I've been able to pray with them. In the first 15 years of our ministry, we had 16 team members killed. That was very tough. That's about one a year. In the last six, 53. And those numbers are going to continue to escalate. Through what we've done there, and this is going to be a little bit of a bridge to where I'm going to go towards the end, but because of the work we've done, it wasn't our intention. We wanted to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into some of the toughest places. But because of that work, we've been able to, we just attracted, it was in God's providence, some very highly skilled, highly trained, very highly competent Christians, patriots, that are part of uh, special forces units, both retired and active, as well as the intelligent community. And we never knew that. But those relationships, God did something with. And I'm going to deal with that as we go. You have no idea those relationships that God puts in front of you, how you have to honor those and foster those, because a lot of times that's going to be a key to something he does literally 20 years later. Uh, today, we're actually serving in 30 countries. The, the numbers just went up by two over the last couple of weeks. I can't give you the names of the two countries, but they're in some of the uh, toughest places in the world. I lead a division called Ghost Operations, and you usually don't hear that in, on a pastor. Pastor Edward Amaya, Ghost Operations, I'll explain all that. I, I'm literally, I lead the organization, our organization uh, as the invisible arm of you, the invisible arm of church to the most dangerous countries. I'm responsible for hundreds of underground pastors in persecuted countries. And, and the stories that I get to deal with, there's, there's just, I mean, the hundreds of thousands of people that are coming to the Lord, it just drives me because if, if that weren't the fact, it is always negative, it is always hard. And I can tell you about ministry. I am driven by this. I, I just, I am, you know, when I go seven days a week and my staff is saying, wait, you know, a day for rest, I'm just so driven because I just see the suffering in the world and I can't help but be compelled to do this. This isn't a burden on me, but I can tell you war gets tiring. Death gets tiring. Suffering gets tiring, and that's what we deal with most of the time. So I would ask that you'd pray for me, too, that the Lord would continue to refresh me in the things that I should do. Again, we went from um, Africa, which we're in several countries there. Now we're working in the Middle East, Central and Southern Asia, and even in closed countries within Eastern Europe and some other places, but it will be pretty obvious where those are, so I'm going to speak a little bit in code. Just a couple weeks ago, I was uh, one of the most important countries that is just exploding. You'll be familiar with it. That was kind of the biggest thing going on. This was just literally a couple months ago, and that's Syria. We have 12 underground pastors there, and this is a beautiful story. When Syria exploded a few years ago, there was a group of believers that realized that this was going to get bad. And so they got together and they prayed. They said, Father, if we should go, tell us. If we should stay, tell us. They took a week to actually fast and pray. And when uh, they got back together, um, my main leader said, you know, I honestly thought maybe two or three of us would stay. Twelve people in this room when they originally did that. When they showed up a week later, 25 people decided they would stay, plus their families. So we, we have a couple hundred people in there. And one of the things about Syria, which is so different from, than us as a church in America, although we feel society changing against us a little bit, just put yourself into Syria this morning where... If you're a Christian and you die, you're not getting buried in a Muslim uh, cemetery. And so what, what, the, what our team said to each other, we didn't even know about this till later, 
was we're here to serve Jesus Christ. We will breathe Jesus Christ until the very end. This is our call. We have, we have counted that cost. But if we die, we have no place to be buried. And so they pulled the smallest amount of money that they had together, and they actually purchased some, some land, and they built a graveyard. We have a beautiful video on that. I'll make sure that your pastor gets that. And I just got to meet with uh, uh, Pastor Danny. All these names are changed. I had a chance to see him in the United States. He was able to sneak out, and he sneaked back. He went, he's back in there. But he wanted me to remind the church or to celebrate with the church this morning is that the graveyard is still empty. Beautiful thing. Because of their love, at first we were sending in money to try to help the church because they were starving. They, they can't work. There was nothing. If you've seen TV... Uh, if you've seen any of the documentaries on Syria, I mean, it is just completely leveled. It is, a, it is a horrible situation. But what our guys, our team started doing, we're sending in money and then little food packets. We have some rat lines to get in to help some people out with that. And some of our people were so driven with compassion for their Muslim brothers that they were actually sharing their food with neighbors. And out of that compassion led a lot of Muslims who were never open to the gospel before, but because of suffering and the only people helping them were Christians, it opened it to the gospel, and a lot of underground churches sprang up because of that. But here's a beautiful story. One of our team members, and, and it made it in a book, maybe some of you read it, but one of our team members actually uh, went to an imam's house and brought him some food. And his wife was there, and, and, and in those countries, a man doesn't approach a wife, and he apologized and walked away, and he ran into this imam, and the imam said something very nice about him. He gave him some food, and he said, what is this all about? And he said, this is from Jesus. He goes, you mean the prophet Jesus? Today, that imam is no longer an imam. He's actually running an underground seminary for us in, in Syria. So there's a lot of beautiful things in the midst of suffering. But as a body of Christ, if we wouldn't have shown up, if we would have just sat in, a, and there's nothing wrong with praying because we're supposed to pray without ceasing. We are not in a physical war. We're in a spiritual war. We just prayed. That is critical. But there's something else that needs to go with prayer. It's called action. And what the Lord showed us a while ago, it's so important to pray. But when there is a situation, and I have aligned your skills, and I have aligned the right timing, sometimes praying is really important. In fact, it's always important to pray, right? But it's also important to start walking. And what God has taught us is that, we have, to be, uh, we have to be people of action. It just drives us to be people of action to bring glory to God. We'll spend some more time in that. Well, if Syria weren't enough, then Burma exploded again. If most of you will know of them they're by their new name as um, Myanmar, and in there, there's uh, entire villages of Christians being wiped out. We need to be praying for it. It's not making the news anymore because what's going on in Afghanistan we, uh, the, the Christians are starving. They're being killed. They're being hunted down. This is a, another worst-case scenario. We actually sent in a bunch of food, and uh, the group of people, I don't know these directly, but our ministry leaders gave it to uh, five people, and they were trying to make it through the bush to get to this one village where people are dying of starvation Christians, and they got busted. And uh, four of the people were killed on the spot. The other one was shot in the head, but it grazed his head, and it looked like he was dead, and he made it out to tell us a story. But that's what's happening today across the world for one reason, because they are willing to name the name of Jesus Christ. When we think about Christmas and all the things about Jesus and we see crosses and, and it just warms our heart and it should because we were separated from God and now we have been given eternity. We have been given everything in Christ Jesus and it should warm our heart. But a lot of Christians in the world, the name of Jesus and the cross is a symbol of suffering. And they pick that up because they understand that that suffering is nothing in comparison to the, to the grace that they have been given by a living God. 
Afghanistan, I'm going to definitely spend some time with that. But before that, I felt like the Lord really, I almost took the scripture out here. I was going to, I would never take scripture out, but I wasn't going to do this. And about four o'clock this morning, the Lord woke me up and I ran into the office and added the scripture back in. But if you want to turn to Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, again, Luke 19, verses 11 through 27, I want to talk about a really powerfully important message that Jesus gave his disciples. And Jesus said a lot to his disciples, but why I want to focus on this? Because this is Jesus on his way. He is literally going to Jerusalem where he already knows that he is going to be betrayed by the very disciples that he's traveling with. He's going to suffer and he is going to die. It is a sure thing. I don't know about that. If I knew that I was going to my death and I knew that it was going to be the most incredible suffering, that's why I'm not Jesus, I think I would have went the other way. Or at least I wouldn't have been having deep conversations But that's who our Jesus is. And I can't help that Jesus could have said anything, and he said a lot on the way to Jerusalem. But what we're about to read here is something that drives me as a man, and I pray that it will drive you too. So let's look in that. So that's a little bit of the backstory. Luke chapter 19, verses 11. And as they heard these things, who? The disciples, his disciples. He, Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, but because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his disciples, he gave them 10 minas. So he calls 10 disciples and a mina just to give you a little bit of history. There's different interpretations, but the most, uh, most accepted one is that's about a pound of silver today. And back then, well, a pound of silver today is a lot, but it's really not as much as it used to be. But back then, poverty rate was much higher. A pound of silver was an incredible amount of money for most people back then. So he gives them all a mina, and then he says to them, engage in business. Most of your translations will probably say, occupy, occupy until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, so he went from a nobleman to a king, he ordered those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came to him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. That just just blows my mind. We we get a pound of silver, money, and we're we're being told that he was faithful with that little bit. And because of that, God is going to entrust him because he was faithful with small. He's going to give him ten cities. He's going to give him government and economic and family and education. That's just mind-boggling to me. That should be driving us to our knees. I am not motivated for the kingdom of heaven by God giving me ten, by giving me ten cities. I am motivated to be obedient with what is in front of me because I know it glorifies my God. And you know what I want to do? I want to glorify my God. I want to be a man that when you see me in a hotel in New York or in in Syria or wherever that is, if you see me and I don't even know you're there and you observe me for a couple days, I want my life to be so authentic that what you hear up here with passion, that if you saw me anywhere in the world and I didn't know you were watching me, that you would see in my life that I am completely, completely congruent. I want my life to show that I believe in Jesus. I don't want my words. I use words. That's what I am. I'm a public speaker and I'm out there. I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. I use words, but I hate using words. I want my life to be a reflection of Jesus and my words to follow. And dads, I want to tell you something. 
Your children are not expecting you to be perfect. There is nobody perfect. But what they are expecting is that if we say that this thing about Christ Jesus means something, it should dominate our lives. I want it to dominate my life. I want people that hate me, when they look at me, they know that I am consistent in my walk because I glorify Jesus. I don't want to be that guy that people look at and hate me. And unfortunately, Christians, there's some of the stuff that we're doing even in the last couple of years that we are losing our witness. We are losing an opportunity with half of the population to be able to bring the love of Jesus to them. I'm going to say something. I don't have one in my pocket. I usually do. And I want to be careful with this. This is not political. Just hear my heart. It's the intention of my heart. I'm on airplanes all the time. I'm somewhere. I, 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 I hate masks. I hate them, I hate them, I hate them, but let me tell you the difference. I will wear a mask every day of every minute of every hour of my life if it will give me an opportunity to be able to win people to Jesus Christ. It is not about my rights. It is about glorifying Jesus Christ to people that are walking in fear. It is not my job to slam my fist and tell the world that as an American I have rights. I am an American. It is a gift to me, and you'll understand this in a moment. It is, my, it is now my privilege and responsibility to glorify the love of Jesus even to my enemies. Because if we keep putting up, erecting these obstacles, half the world hates us and can't hear a word we say about a living king. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to hate masks. I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to hate vaccines. But what I am saying is that you are a child of the living king and rise up and remember because God uses people. God used a donkey. God used a burning bush. But all the other times he uses his children. And sometimes we wonder why God doesn't bother us with vision. Sometimes we wonder why God doesn't stir us. Sometimes we wonder why God doesn't do these radical things and take us from here to there. And here's my heart, and I had to, be, I had to do some self-confrontation with this. I had to look in the mirror, and I had to say, am I being obedient in the basis? Because somehow I expect God to somehow use me like King David when I'm not even being faithful in my family. And that drives me, by the way, like Sean, like the rest of you, like your pastor, I'm still a man. I still have areas that are gaps. I have been redeemed by the living king. I am being sanctified into the perfection of Christ Jesus, but I'm not there yet. That means that I'm still going to make mistakes, but I reflect on those mistakes. I'm honest about those mistakes. I put people around me. I will not get defensive when Sean speaks in my life and says, Edward, let me just talk to you about this brother because this is really getting in the way. I will not be defensive. I will not be thin-skinned about it because I want to be a man righteous and useful for God. I'm 56 years old, and I'm realizing that those years went by fast. <laughs> those years went by fast. And I realize that as much as I do to take care of my health, to work out in the gym, to eat right, to do all those things, when I'm traveling, I can, I, I, I'm justified to sit on my couch and, and just let my brain shut down and watch the news. I don't. I go to the gym. I do everything I can to glorify God. But at some point, I don't care what I do to try to keep in shape, I'm going to wear out should the Lord tarry. I, I can't do this forever. I'm going to age out. But I realize that that time is so short, the next 20, 30 years are going to be like a, just a blip because it feels like it was just the other day when my daughter was on my lap and I was just looking at her going, Father, give me wisdom. I don't know how to do this. And today she's 33 years old and I have an eight-year-old granddaughter. That is how fast it's going to go by. It feels like it was literally just a couple years ago that my little baby was on my lap. And now she's a big girl. She doesn't need daddy anymore. Well, she needs daddy, but you know what I mean? And I want to encourage you guys with that, is that your life really does matter. 
Again, on his way, oh, I, I jumped ahead in my service. Should we go back to the scripture? <clears throat> Sean, you're supposed to be doing this. Come on, man. There we go. Now he's doing that. Okay, let me get back to that. I will condemn you with your own words. Let me go back. You'll be faithful. You'll have authority over ten cities. And the second came to him, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord... This is the thing that shakes me to the core. Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. Our words matter, guys. You knew that I was a severe man. You knew scripture. You knew this about me. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put the money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? Why didn't you just do something simple? If you were afraid, why didn't you entrust it to another man or to another woman who would be faithful with it and could do something with it? Why did you go and hide the gifts and the times and the opportunities and the, uh, everything that I gave you? Why did you go hide? Why did you sit on it? Why did you keep stalling? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. And I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That just shakes me. That is a life verse for me. When I wake up, it is ever-present on my heart because I, I realize that Jesus, on his way to his death, could have said a million things. But he instructed the disciples, and I believe me, and here's where I'm going to be bold, and I believe everybody in here that confesses the name of Jesus. He tells us clearly that we are to occupy until he comes. Even if we see the signs, and the Bible says that we'll see the signs of the season, although we don't know the time, we don't know the hour, we don't know the day. When we see the signs, we're supposed to look up for our, our redemption draweth nigh. We are still to call to occupy. We don't get to quit because of our, our belief of whatever is going on. God has called every one of us into our last breath that we are called to occupy. Again, I mentioned those years just going by. It's an, it's an absolute brief, brief blip. And if God gives me another 20 to 30 years, maybe 40, I don't know. I have no idea. I want to honor him because I know to God my life matters. Why? Because Jesus said, for God so loved the world, or the scripture says, for God so loved the world. But then Jesus went on to say a little bit something else, and, and there's so many layers to this, and I'm just going to take the most basic layer of it. But Jesus said, and, you, and greater things than I do that you see me doing, greater things than these you shall do. I am not here today to talk about turning water into wine or feeding 5,000 or raising the dead or raising Lazarus. I'm not talking about that. I'm just going to go with the most simple, basic thing, for God so loved the world. Today, we are a representation of Jesus Christ to the 21st century. Jesus fills the universe. His spirit abides in us, but he is no longer here physically in the flesh. You know who he is called? His ambassadors. 
He's called you. He has called me. We are the light of the world. We represent the kingdom of heaven. We represent the love of Jesus to this generation. And God, God could have made you born at any other generation. He could have made you born in another country. You could be in, in Afghanistan this morning. You could be an Afghan person dealing with all that. But God chose to use you here so he could glorify the world through you here. He did not make a mistake by putting you in the United States at this time. He has a plan for every single person life. And I want to challenge you. I can't tell you what that plan is because it really, the plan always gets unfolded through obedience. And I'm not browbeating you guys because I'm here today because you guys actually stood with us with Afghanistan. I'm just trying to remind us that when the world makes a lot of noise, when the voices are screaming in our head, may we keep clear what our vision is. I have a, one of my staff, a team, um, a couple Christmases ago, got me a little compass and the, they put my name on it and everything, and, and, and I try to do this now, but they said one of the most incredible things to me, and I don't deserve it. It shook me. It caused tears in my eyes, but they said, Edward, you always help us try to figure out what true north is, and that's what I want to do is that I want to remind us with all the noise, with all the smoke, with all the, just all the distractions. The enemy wants to distract us because if we stay distracted on the smoke and the noise, he can flank us and destroy our witness, destroy our family, and destroy everything that God had planned for us. We have an enemy that has deceived thousands of years worth of people, and we have an enemy who is able to deceive one-third of the living angels in the very presence of God. We have to understand that our enemy does not take off Sunday, he doesn't take off Christmas, and he's not taking off your anniversary. I am not talking about walking in fear. I am walking through so many spiritual attacks right now because of what we're doing in Afghanistan, but I realize he can't do anything to me without the Lord's permission. If he allows an attack on me that takes my life, God knew what he was doing, and I'm good. I will not back down from the enemy. I will take one step after another, even if I see all the, the wickedness of the enemy. I will follow the Lord because I belong to him. And I want to encourage everybody, that is the same mantle that you have. I, I am so convinced. It just drives me. It's, the, it's this thing that literally wakes me up in the middle of the night, and I'm not angry when I'm dealing with texts and, and team members all over the world. It doesn't bother me at all because I, I am fully convinced that God expects me and he expects you, and he expects us collectively to bear fruit. God expects us, and, and I am thankful for Calvary Chapel. I don't know anything else. I've been to other denominations, but this is where I grew up. I just thought that all Christians, all churches, until I got older, they go from Genesis to Revelation. We are well taught, and what I want to encourage you as a well-taught warrior, that knowing isn't the same as doing. You can be a knower of the word and still deceiving yourself. We are called to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And I want to just challenge again, this is not browbeating. I, this is a clarion call that if that is your conviction, if that is how you've lived your entire life, do not ever get distracted. We are called to glorify God individually and collectively. Afghanistan. I don't know if I'm going to make this through. I, I consider myself a, uh, a pretty man's man, a guy's guy. I, I love testosterone. I love all that stuff. I like, I like that stuff. I just do. 
But this stuff sometimes I can't help because when I put myself, the Bible tells us to, to put ourselves in the position of those that are suffering. It says to visit those in prison as if you were there yourself. And it's not prisoners of today, although we still need to be visiting people in prison. It was more spiritual prisoners, Christians, the things that were going on with that. There's more to that. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Sean um, come back and teach on that one. But this is breaking my heart. I, I, again, I don't, I don't tear up easy. But last night I found myself, when I woke up again, thinking about a story I'm going to tell you, and the tears just went down my face. When I got some pictures on my phone, because we have some people on the ground, and I got to see some pictures of what was going on, and I can just tell you that I, I just cried. And, and there was a couple other really tough people that I'm dealing with. These are, these are some really tough dudes coming from the Special Forces. And later in the day, they shared the same thing with me. It's like when I, when I met that person, the tears just ran down my face. So this is going to be, I PG'd it because of there's supposed to be kids in here, and I don't see any. Well, except for all of you. We're all young, right? Um, I'm, I PG'd this a little bit. I'm going to be a little bit careful. So Afghanistan is a worst-case scenario for a country, but it's even more of a worst-case scenario for Christians. We were there for 20 years, and uh, after we pulled out quickly, I'm not going to get into the politics of all this today. That's not, my, that's not my intent, but it fell in 10 days. And you guys got to see some of the things on the news. We have friends within the intelligent community. We realize that there's, there's just this big PR game going on. There's this strategy. And if governments who put trillions of dollars into that world, how does some little ministry like us do something like this? Because what God has really shared with me is God is going to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. What people could not do, God can use us if we're faithful and if we're bold and if we'll walk forward and if we walk with love. But right now, there's still, you are going to hear probably a couple hundred on the news a couple hundred Americans still there, and it's the ones that don't want to get out. What we can tell you firsthand is there's at least 1,500, if not 2,000, maybe 3,000 Americans still stuck there, and they can't get out because planes can't go on. The Taliban was gifted just some of the most amazing uh, military equipment. They are now one of the, the most powerful terrorist groups in the world. They have Blackhawks. They have thermal binoculars. They can shoot airliners out of uh, the sky in, in neighboring states. It's a very serious situation. But there are people that are working to get them out. There's also thousands of people still stranded there that are afraid. And we're dealing with them, too, because they have nowhere to go. But there's thousands who stood with the United States that are on Taliban hit lists. There's people helping get them out. But there's also this other little teeny group called the Christian minority. And guess what? They're on nobody's list. There isn't, a, there isn't a government of this world that are thinking about our brothers and sisters. We have 22 leaders in, uh, spread out over Afghanistan and their families, which equates to a couple hundred people. We have doctors. We have people that are just so committed to serving the people. And we're seeing Taliban leaders coming to the Lord. I have so many great stories that I can tell you about. It will never make CNN or Fox News. But I can tell you that we know that really radical people have come to the Lord. And when you get a radical person who, who's spiritual eyes get open to the things of Jesus, they become some most incredible Christians that you'll ever meet because they were radical for all the wrong reasons. And when they meet this loving Savior, it just, oh, it's like turning on a, it's like turning on a nuclear bomb. It's a pretty amazing things. We have to understand that even our enemies need Jesus. Whew. 
We've been contacted because of our relationships and because of what we do by many other ministries, and we have found thousands of people, Christians, that are stranded, and they're Christian workers from crew from all kinds of different places, and we are working with some very special people, um, which I mentioned earlier. We also, in neighboring states, we just ran into, I have, uh, I have a team on the ground there and uh, to the north. They went into a place, and there were 5,000 people that were actually already hiding up there. If you don't know anything about Afghanistan, do an image search. Be really careful, but you can see how tough the terrain is. This is one of the toughest places on the planet. It is no joke to get people around. But we just found thousands of people that we need to help. And my team, I can't get into names right now because it's an active mission, but my team was on the ground, and one of my leaders um, ran into this family. Whew. They're up there. They were able to get up into this neighboring state. We didn't know them. They weren't part of our church, but now they are. It's a Christian family whose uh, brother was, uh, their dad's brother was pretty high up in the Taliban. And they were Christians. And one day this, uh, this Taliban leader came in, who is the, the brother, and killed his own brother in front of the family, in front of the children, just because he was a Christian. This is going to get tough. And then they defiled the four-year-old as punishment for the family. And when our team got them, they were broken and crushed. Their father was just killed, and I have the pictures of what they did. It's just horrible. And this little girl, and she grabbed onto one of my team members with a death grip and would not let go because she just needed somebody to tell her it's going to be okay. I can't help to think, what if that was my family? Why did God let me be born in America? I'm not going to take that casually. If I were there, if God chose for me to be born somewhere else, I would be screaming out for my brothers and sisters. Christianity is so amazing. We come from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And what brings us together versus what separates us is the spirit of the living king. I have brothers and sisters all over this planet, and I will not leave them alone. Because if I were there, I would pray that one of you would love me enough to come and help me in my time of absolute agony. I don't know what it would be like to have to deal with my four-year-old daughter. I need more sleep. Sorry. The suffering is just incredible. When uh, everything exploded in, uh, in um, Kabul and everybody was trying to get in the airport, you saw those pictures of people falling off planes. We were trying to get all of our team member in there. We had Marines and Special Forces looking for them. There was hundreds of thousands of people. I want to I wanna take you to how bad this was. It's the hot Afghan area. It's not winter yet. There's no water. There's no public bathrooms. There's nothing. And people were dying, passing out because they were so dehydrated. Several of the people that we were trying to help, one of the little ch children was so sick because she had dehydrated so bad that her, her, her temple started to, to collapse in. We were getting pictures. We were able to get a couple of them out of that group and get them on planes. We have uh, one of our main leaders is here in the United States on a military base in, in um, New Mexico. I'm going to get over there real quick and try to spend some time with them, their family. And then we have another family that actually made it into Indiana. We've been able to get out many other people through other means. We have country presidents, very poor country presidents, unfortunately, that are saying, bring them here, we'll take them, we'll take them, we want people. And it's so amazing to see. We went in, into South Sudan to bring the love of Jesus, and today we're dealing with presidents of countries, and they're saying, green light, bring your 
your people in. We care about them. We're going to help them. It's a very beautiful thing, but it's a, it's a very tough thing. But one of the ladies that was stuck outside, her husband had been killed already. And uh, she's a widow, and she has daughters and a son. And she was frantic trying to get a hold of us. The Taliban has uh, access to equipment that can take down comms, or the communications phones were up and down. It was a really trying time for us. We've worked on some other things to do that. But she was letting us know how afraid she was. And then the Taliban got a hold of her son and beat him. And she was so afraid, because what she does know is that the Taliban will gladly rape any of the girls that are around and she was just panicked and and then if you watched what happened there was a su two suicide bombs and in that area the marines we have pictures of the marines that were there because they're friends of ours well they're friends of friends of ours and the 13 marines that were killed you know, we have pictures of right before the bombing and she was in that area and and what i can tell you the pictures that came out afterwards i have one picture it's about a 10 foot thing of looks like water it's about that deep and it's blood because of how bad it was. They were picking up pieces. It was just terrible. And we lost her for a little bit. And now we were able to get a hold of her. And we are going to do anything to get her out because her husband is in there. I take personal responsibility. Unfortunately, where she is, it is so bad that you, I never thought I would use these words. But we're actually working with uh, mercenaries because we have other people. But this is a Merc group. They're not there. They don't love Jesus, but they're there to help. And, and we're, we're in the process of getting her to a safe country, her and her entire family. So please be praying because a lot of these stories are going on. At the end of this conversation, we're, um, we're probably going to be able to save thousands of people. And what I want to encourage you is our first phase, I'm going to get into the different phases, but our first phase happened because of you. This church, your pastor, who I now love and is on my, uh, my board of heroes, you stood up and we didn't even have to ask you. The very first phase of what we did just to do some recon over there because planes were grounded. You know, we had to get helos in. You got to work with mercs that will, uh, mercenaries that will actually fly you in low below radar. For us to be able to get in, it has been a pretty heavy thing. It, our first phase, just to find out how we could get people out, find rat lines or find ways to get them out. Our, our team that got in there, that first phase cost us $500,000. It was a man in your church that came together and made sure that that happened. And here's how this story goes. When we knew how much phase one, we have four phases. When we heard how much phase one was, we're a ministry. We bring gospel. We bring food. We bring medicine. We bring church plants. We do all those type of things. Little did we think we'd have to be dealing with this kind of stuff, right? And so what Wes did, he was not sleeping when this first happened. Wes is our founder. Many of you actually know Wes uh, Bentley. Amazing man. I've known him since I was 19 years old. He was not sleeping. He's like, Father, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. But what do we do? How do we do something? And he felt like the Lord just gave him one simple little thing. said, Wes, I'll give you one piece of the puzzle at a time, and you're going to have to trust me for the next step. We got up the next day, and one of our major donors actually called me to find out what was going on, and I explained it to him, didn't even ask for money. And he said, I'm sending you $400,000, plus what you guys gave us, plus what some other people. Guess what? We ended up with $525,000 and were able to do the thing first phase of this and move in. This would not happen if it weren't for your church, if it weren't for your leadership. And here's my thing. I don't care how big your church is. What I am looking for is the obedience and the health of a church. This is an obedience healthy church and when Sean was able to connect with the pastor I said please let me go there because I want to do two things I want to inspire you I also want to love on you and thank you I'm really busy I'm on planes everywhere but this is the greatest joy of my life to stand before a church that said we are putting people before anything else and so I stand up here applauding you thank you and the reason it means so much to me is because it just grabs my heart 
these sweet little girls just holding on to our team members for, for dear life. Again, what if, what, if, what if I were born in the wrong country? I would cry out, I would scream out, I would do anything for help. And your church would be the one that would answer me. You hear that? That's what I think of you. You represent Christ Jesus to me. I would go into battle with anybody here because your pastor is willing to put everything on the line to make sure that people he may never meet in his entire life are taken care of. Because the Bible says this, undefiled religion is this, caring for widows and orphans in their need. Let's just put that, caring for those who can't care for themselves. That is what is undefiled religion. You can, you know, other churches, other believers can tell me everything they know about Scripture. They can talk to me in the Greek and the Hebrew, and that's wonderful. That impresses me. But I am impressed with the body of Christ that says, we will put our money where our mouth is. You move my heart. Thank you. You know, Wes... Uh, has a story, and, and my, my message has fallen apart a little bit, but I just, I'm just i trusting the Lord. I'm talking to his friends now. I'm not trying to sound like a pastor. I am exhausted. I am tired. I need to find a pillow. I won't get a pillow for a couple more weeks. I'm going to be okay. I'm driven by this, but my, my sentences, I feel like my brain is kind of like you know on and off, on and off. It's been a long couple weeks here, but I want to tell you something that just drives me. Why I will follow Wes, why I'll follow a Sean. Uh, I've got to walk with Sean for a while. That man is a man of God. He just loves people that are even, you know, rising up against him. But Wes is a, uh, Wes Bentley is a huge, uh, just, he just loves, he's obsessed with history. He reads books on history, watches movies on history. He is consumed by history. And he says he is, is that if we don't understand history, it's really easy to think that this is the worst of times. But for all human, uh, for all human population, it has always been the worst of time because of sin, right? There's just been ugliness everywhere. But he, one of the stories that just, and he said this a few years ago, and it just resonates with my heart. Most of you, some of you probably have seen the movie Schindler's List. But Oscar Schindler was not a believer. Oscar Schindler, if you guys got to see it, I'm not saying you should see the movie. I'm just telling you that it's, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing story of a non-Christian. Just his compassion to be able to save things. And there's a little clip in the movie when Wes told me about it. I finally had to break down and see it. And I actually carried the clip around on my phone as well as on my laptop. But it's at the end when, uh, when Schindler's walking out and there's the 1,200 people, the 1,200 Jews that he saved from sure annihilation from Nazis. And as he's walking out there, they're all standing there and you look at their eyes and they're just filled with love and joy and they just, they're just, he saved their life. They realized it. And then there's this really neat little Jewish thing that is said. It's really beautiful. But as you fast forward that, he just, he gets to this point, for those of you who've seen the movie, and he goes, my car, I, I could have done more. I could have made more money. I could have done more. I could have sold this car, and that's four people. And he has this little gold brooch from the, from the Nazis on his, uh, his jacket, and he pulls it off. He goes, this is gold. This is two people. And he looks at his ring, and he says, this is two people. And then he falls into this guy's chest and just, just cries. And well, that moved Wes because he said, if a man can show compassion on people who are dying, how much more should Christians show that same compassion? Because I can show compassion, and this is what the world can do. I can show compassion, but apart from Christ Jesus, they're still separated from Christ forever. As Christians, we drive with that same compassion. If I can save two more, if I can save four more, because we want them to know Christ and be able to go beyond their suffering one day, to be able to have an eternity with a righteous God that loves them. It just absolutely drives my heart. 
And I had some videos I was going to show this morning, but I just felt like I was supposed to just talk to you guys as family. Oops, I'm a little bit late, Pastor. I'll be able to finish here in a second. I didn't realize I went that long. Again, the first phase, you were actually really part of it. It's so meaningful. The second phase, I can't get into all the details, but that's in motion right now. And it is pretty intense. We've got a lot of very good patriots with high skills about to swoop in and get as many people as possible. We are completely convinced out of the 3,000 people that we're trying to convince we're going to take some losses. And it's crushing us. We don't want to lose one person. We know we're going to probably have to take some losses. But we are going to do everything we can to save as many people as possible. One more person, that is what we're driven for. This next phase is going to cost us about a million to a million and a half. And the other thing, too, is we need prayer for you, from you guys because total, we think that this is just, just for the group of people we can get. On, a, on the lowest side, it's going to end up costing us as an organization $4 million, and on the higher side, probably 10 to $15 million. Um, this is pretty intense. We also, with everybody we're relocating, what we did find out is a lot of the countries that are saying, yes, bring them here, but then they're like embarrassingly saying, but you know, we don't, we're not America. We don't have that money. We're going to need somebody to help take care of them. And so we're going to be committed to that, no matter if it's 3,000 people or if it's 300 families, whatever that is, we're going to do it. Why? Because we have an opportunity to glorify Jesus. And this, if this is my last opportunity, I'm not looking for what God wants to do next. This is my opportunity in front of me. And what I know about God is when he gives you an opportunity, you throw yourself into it as much as you can. And if this is my last mission, may I go into heaven and glorify the king. If it's not my last mission and God gives me more, I'll throw myself in it too because this matters I want my life to reflect what I have been saying for 40 years that Jesus is Lord I want my life to reflect to the world that Jesus is king and no matter what you do to me I am going to glorify my king through love not through anger and hate I am not going to slam my fist anymore I am going to glorify Jesus by taking care of the suffering of everybody including the enemies that hate me that is my passion I know that some of you are going to want to get involved, and I talked to the pastor about it because you guys already did, and he, I'm going to tell you, you guys have, you have the real deal. Sean's been telling me about him. You have the real deal because you guys just really invested a lot into us, and I know that some of you are going to want to get involved in it, and I want to give you a, a practical ways to do that, and I shared with him, and he's like, do it. I mean, that's pretty awesome because the truth is, is you know, as a church, a lot of pastors get worried because, well, we need finances as a church. I'm gonna, you're gonna get to see my path. You're gonna understand that I'm standing up here boldly, but <clears throat> I wasn't always the smartest guy in the room. In fact, I'm not smart now, but I was not the smartest guy. I came from an incredibly dysfunctional family. I mean, way dysfunctional. I grew up in San Diego, and it was really, really bad. And I showed up at church at 19 years old, and, and it was an amazing message. Just, just the spirit just spoke to me. It was a radical transformation, just radical transformation. I had to make some stupid mistakes along the way. It's called growth, but it was a radical transformation. But I didn't want to meet Mike McIntosh because I was so sure that he was so spiritual that he could actually read my mind. I just didn't want to get close to him. I'm like, he's going to know my past. And, and then I found out, well, Mike McIntosh, like Sean, like your pastor, like me, we're just men. And I got, then, I, you know, I, then I served at the church a lot. And the other thing, too, I, went to, I had a family to take care of. I went to work. I was a practical guy. I, I knew I was in ministry, but I was a business guy. That's what I thought God was going to do. He has a funny way of changing things. But I was a business guy. 
And I knew I had to take care of my family, but I always just thought, well, if God does something at church where God guides, God provides, there's got to be a tree out back that just drops money. I haven't found it. I think your pastor probably has the only one that's in the world, but there is probably no tree out there. And practically speaking, this is not what we like to talk about. Forgive me, I'm a business guy. But practically speaking, it takes money to run a church. And we have to remember that. I do not want to take away from this church because God has called us to go to our Jerusalem, Poway, for God so loved the world that Poway means something to him. And he sent you here because he wants the light of Jesus Christ for all the other people in Poway that don't know him. And then wherever, wherever else you might live around your Rancho Bernardo, etc. But God has also called us to go into all the world and bring the gospel to all the nations. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. We are told to go into all the world and teach them all that, to teach them to be obedient to all that Jesus has commanded us. That's a lot there. If you want to get practically involved, please make sure that this is an above and beyond your tithing here because we are not going to hit this church or hurt this church. There's work to be done here. If you're good there and you want to work with us, a couple opportunities we have. Um, one is if you want to give to the mission, this is going to be for the next thing. I'm going to be meeting with groups of people over the mega pastors and stuff like that over the next few days because we got to raise some money. If you'd like to be part of that, Sean and I will be back there. Uh, we would be glad to talk to you about it, pray with you about it. We're just us two, so we may not be able to get into a long conversation, but if you'll wait around, we can definitely do that. And the other way, too, just practically speaking, is that I'm asking you that we do have our underground pastors out there today. I have chaplains, for those of you who still love what we're doing in the chaplains, and, and I spoke with Wes from another country, and he said, you know, undefiled religion is this. We're taking care of thousands of uh, elderly widows in Russian or excuse me, former Soviet Union countries. So I even have those. But let me just deal with our persecuted ghost operations. I can't tell you who they are. Names have been changed, but we are going to have to support them for a long time. In country, I have three groups here today, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Syria. In country, it's, they just aren't going to be able to write you letters, but it gets them in the food. It gets them in things that they can take care of the community. In Afghanistan, they're not going to be there. But what we're working on is we're actually working on believing that we need to get them back in. So we're looking for pass right now to get them out and then one day to be able to get them back in because the Taliban's not going to be going out of, uh, out of power anytime soon. And that country still needs Jesus. And so we are committed to getting people back in once we can get them out. If you are interested in helping us, you can talk to us. Um, if you are interested in supporting monthly any of these work, you can take care of one family, two families, anything you want. Only do what your family can do. I don't want this to be a hardship on you. Some of you can do more. Some of you should do less. But if you want to get involved in this and take care of those people, it's going to be years of where we're going to have to take care of people. So if you are interested, if you can support us on that one, I would please ask you to do it monthly and automatically because we just don't have time to send out reminders. We just ask that you would do it automatically so we can get the work done. I know we usually don't say that here, but your pastor gave me permission. And, and for some of you who are going, oh man, did the pastor really go there? Hear my heart. This isn't, I didn't mean to be offensive in church. I'm desperate for the people that I need to serve. And I'm willing to be as bold as possible, even if somebody doesn't like me. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to live with integrity. And there are some taboo things in church, and I'm not trying to play with those. But today, I just believe it's one of those days as brothers and sisters, we get to have a cup of coffee, if you will, and just talk honestly. That's been my heart. I love you guys. I don't know all of you. I know some of you. But because your church cares about the world, you're the kind of warriors that I would walk into any battle with. And I pray that I will honor your commitment, that I will live my life in such a way that the investment in what we are doing 
you will be so happy with on this type of side of eternity. But when you get into heaven, you're going to realize that because of your faithfulness as, you, as your pastor's done, hundreds of thousands of people have been saved and can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I am an extension of this church to the world. I'm part of your church, though. Pastor? I think it's hard when we see things happen in the world. I think so many of us want to jump in and help and, and we feel helpless. It's a beautiful thing that we have as a gift that we can pray, but it's also a beautiful thing when we have people that we know and trust. There are a lot of organizations that uh, right now you could just Google and find online and give financially to or potentially even put a shoulder behind on different projects all over the world. But it was really important for myself and the elders because we, we make decisions, especially financial ones, together for us to know that there are people that we trusted. And so when you hear someone saying, hey, we do need help or wings to be put on uh, what we're trying to do in this country, just know these are people that we know and have had a relationship with for a long time that we really do trust. There are other organizations we'd even looked at that we didn't have that kind of confidence with. And so that's why those are not organizations we'd bring before you. Um, but maybe some of those are organizations you know people and trust. And so that's great. You do with what you want. Uh, with how God leads you. But I would just say we, we believe and trust in these people and their mission. And their mission really is to get Jesus into hard to reach places and right now to care for Jesus people in those hard to reach places. And so as was mentioned, I, I told him he asked, because it is an interesting thing, I think, for people with an organization like Edward and Sean are a part of, to come into a church sometimes it's, well, if you ask for anything from our people, that might affect us and our bottom line. Honestly, the resources we have are the Lord's, and that's what the elders and I had been praying. The week that things blew up in Afghanistan, we said we're meant to be stewards and not stockpilers. And so we prayed and said, God, how do you want to lead us? The next week as it hit the fan, we just said, we've got to find somewhere that we know and trust, and that these are our friends who we've, we're longtime supporters of monthly on your behalf, but felt like this was something we could step into. So I'd encourage you to consider and pray about what it would look like for you and your family potentially to partner with them as well, in addition to what we do as a church corporately, um, especially in a time like this. Uh, but I'd love to pray for us before we go. Father, I thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing. And Jesus, our motivation is not fear or shame, it's love. We are loved first by you, Jesus. And that love was a costly love. It was a love that even made yourself so very vulnerable. And Jesus, as we choose to follow you, our response is to love. To love you, Jesus, and to love, as Scripture says, even our enemies. And Jesus, we look first to the household of faith, that we would do good, but first to the household of faith that we would offer a cup of cold water to one of our brothers and sisters in your name, that we know, Jesus, we're doing it to you. And so, Jesus, thank you for opportunities for us to do that. And we pray for these men and women who are there serving your people in harm's way. Jesus, bless them. Jesus, provide for them. Jesus, visit them. In dreams and visions, Jesus, we believe that that's what you do. So, Jesus, visit them. Jesus, we pray for enemies, people who mean to do your people harm. Jesus, we pray, reveal yourself to them. A judge, but a judge who stepped down from the stand and lovingly was treated as a criminal. 
Yes, one who is just, but would pay for it. Jesus, that you would pay for it at your own hand. Jesus, we want to be such a contrast right now to our culture. Jesus, we want to be the anomaly right now in the midst of a divided world. Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to love people. We want to self-sacrifice. Jesus, use us as your ambassadors. God, continue your work. We believe the gates of hell will not prevail against you and your church. So Jesus, if that's here on this school campus at Painted Rock Elementary, then open a door for the gates of hell to not prevail and for your church, for the gospel to have impact. Jesus, for our surrounding community, but Jesus, as, as our voice and love for you echoes even to the far reaches of this earth, Jesus, we believe the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus, thank you that we as your people get to be a part of what you're doing in the world. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.